0: It's good to see you. My name's Richard. I'm part of the staff team here at St. Paul's. It's lovely to be able to speak to you um, this evening. If you uh, if you have a Bible with you, do turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are uh, Bibles available at the back, and you'd be very welcome to go and, uh, to go and grab one. <clears throat> we're continuing tonight um, uh, a, se- a three-week series where we're really looking at... Um, the prayers that the early church prayed, and this evening we 're going to look at um, one of the prayers that Paul prayed for the ephesian church and um, actually, I think it 's a, a prayer that 's quite similar in structure and content to a prayer that Paul prayed for a number of churches. If you read Philippians or Colossians you 'll see that he prayers, he prays very similar things for those churches as well, and so I think the prayer that we're going to look at this evening is uh, the content of that prayer, stuff that Paul uh, considered important, stuff that was on his heart for the local churches of his day. And uh, some of you might may have um, heard that uh, people say that, describe Romans chapter 8 as the kind of the peak of the New Testament. It's like that's the Mount Everest chapter of the New Testament, and I'm not sure whether that's true or not that's what sometimes people say that but if that is the case i reckon that ephesians chapter one uh, would come a pretty close second it's just an amazing chapter amazing passage of scripture and the chapter is divided into two complementary sections the first 14 verses are dominated by praise having greeted them paul gives thanks to god for all of the blessings that are ours in Christ. And so after his greeting in verse 3, Paul says this. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and get this, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every blessing spiritual blessing in Christ every spiritual blessing in Christ that is an amazing verse i mean you could meditate on that for your entire life and never exhaust what that verse means it's incredible and then paul goes on to give specific thanks for some of the things some of those blessings here's 10 of them he gives thanks for the fact that we have been chosen By the creator of the world before the creation of the world. Before God created the universe, he had chosen you. You were on his mind before he created the universe. He has made us holy. God has set us apart for his plans, for his purposes. He has made us holy. God has predestined us to be adopted as his children. The creator of the universe has predestined you, me, the Ephesian Christians, to be adopted as his sons and his daughters. We are recipients of his grace. We've received his undeserved favour. Number five, we've been redeemed. God has redeemed us. The, the language of redemption comes from the slave market, where slaves were bought and sold. And if you had the money and the intent, you could buy a slave out of slavery. It was called to redeem to redeem a slave the language of redemption God has bought us out of slavery to sin to death and the cost of that redemption was the life of his son given up at Calvary for us God has bought us out of slavery he has redeemed us we've been forgiven number 7 says that we have a knowledge of the we have some knowledge of the mystery of God's will and God's ultimate intention which is to bring all of creation under one head which is Christ now I don't understand that in its entirety but that's what God's will is that's his ultimate will to bring all of creation under one head Jesus Christ and we as his sons and daughters have some understanding of what God is planning. We're part of his plan. We are included in Christ. And number 10, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the seal of the Holy Spirit guarantees all of the above. I mean, it's just a a stunning 14 verses. God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Wow. And it's wonderfully Trinitarian if you like that kind of thing. The Father has blessed us through the Son, and we experience that blessing through the Spirit. It's amazing. And then we come to tonight's passage, the second part. Of this amazing chapter which is uh, largely a prayer and let's read it and then we'll pray so we're in Ephesians chapter 1 in case you hadn't guessed and we're gonna read from verse 15 it says for this reason ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the Saints I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him Look at your word this evening. Lord, would you speak to our hearts afresh? Lord, may we know you better. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to suggest that Paul prays four things for the for this church. The first is is kind of the, the main thing that he prays, and then he kind of Expands on it by praying for three specific things. We're just going to try and look at those as we go. So, the first thing is that Paul prays that we may know God better. Verse 17 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, I don't know about you, but that that prayer seems a bit general, doesn't it? It seems a little bit of a catch-all kind of prayer. But actually, to know God is the essence of the Christian faith. To live a life in relationship with God and with his Son, Jesus Christ, that is the Christian faith. In John 17, Jesus says that eternal life is that they may know God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. It's not just knowing any God, it's knowing God and Jesus Christ, whom God sent. The essence of the Christian faith is that we may live our lives in the knowledge of God and of his son, Jesus Christ. That is Christianity, and that's what Paul prays for this church. Now, the Greek Concept of knowledge in Paul's day was one that was very much intellectual. It was interesting to hear Josh's testimony early on. It was very much an intellectual kind of, we might call it, a head knowledge. The Hebrew concept of knowledge was much more of an experiential kind of knowledge. And so, um, some of the older translations of the English Bible have phrases like, uh, in Genesis, Adam knew his wife Eve, and we all know what that means. We all know what the new means there. If you don't know what that means, you can ask Chris or Mark after us, and they will have. they will explain for you. Adam knew his wife Eve. That's, um, that was the Hebrew concept of knowledge, experience. And I want to suggest to you this evening that, that actually Paul had both of those ideas in his mind. He had both an, an intellectual knowledge, but also and critically, an experiential knowledge of God God he prays that we would know God better both intellectually and experientially and the reason i think that is this because jesus said that this holy spirit will lead us into all truth paul says that that we will grow in our, uh, that we will get to know God better through the work of the holy spirit jesus says the spirit leads us into all truth the spirit leads us into the truth of who god is and what god has done for us and then pray, paul also prays that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. I think Paul wants us to grow in our knowledge of God both in terms of an intellectual knowledge and I don't mean that you have to be super bright in order to do that but just that we would begin to understand more of what God has done but that critically also we would experience the knowledge of what God has done for us. And that knowledge of God is something that can never ever be exhausted it's something that can that never ever grows tired you can be a christian all of your life and never have exhausted the knowledge of god my son ben when we said to him what would you like for christmas <clears throat> the one thing that he really really wanted was a diablo there's a bit of a craze in his school at for these diablo things and um and that's what he wants so we bought him this diablo and uh so Christmas Day he opens this present and he's playing with this, this thing and, and I'm thinking wow you're really quite good and apparently they have they have one day a week where they can play football at school and then every other day all the boys are just out there with these Diablos that's what they do and I was like wow you're really quite good he's like really kind of mastered a whole load of things and I said give it to your dad he'll show you a couple of, a couple of things and, and I can't even get it going It's constantly spinning and he's sort of trying to say dad no no you do it like oh dear it's very embarrassing and, uh, but I was quite impressed really with what he could do, and then, and then um, he, he goes back to school, and there's a boy in his class called William, I've heard of William, he's, he's a bit of a Diablo legend at fielding, and, um, and Ben comes back almost every day and he's learned a new trick off William. So now he's doing things where so he can get this Diablo, he goes under his legs, and it can go behind his back, and he can do all these amazing things, and his dad is still trying to get the thing going. It's on this, unbelievable, like, it's a medieval toy and I just cannot get it working at all. But Ben's just getting better and better with all these different skills that he's learning from William. And it's like it's a toy that just keeps on giving. And then, I, and then we go on YouTube. I think, let's have a look on YouTube and see what sort of Diablo skills are going on on YouTube. And there was this boy on YouTube. He must be about six or seven years old. My word, I, it was unbelievable the stuff that he was doing with this Diablo. He wasn't just one Diablo going, he had three Diablos going on this piece of string and he was flicking them out and he was catching them in the air and they were all still spinning and it was unbelievable what he was doing. It was just like thinking, wow, this thing just keeps on going. The only limit on the Diablo is me. That's the only limit. It feels like you could do anything with this toy. And it's a bit like that with God. It just keeps on giving never ever be exhausted the knowledge of him is just is just vast Paul says I pray that you may know God better and also that we may know what we have through Christ we may know what Christ has done for us you know sometimes as Christians we can spend quite a lot of our time can't we looking for the next big thing. What's the next big thing going on? And there's nothing wrong with that in the sense I think that to pursue God and what God has for us, I think is, that's a, a, that is the most commendable thing, isn't it? But we can spend a lot of time wondering what's the next big thing or looking around for that. And it's interesting, I think that Paul, he doesn't pray that the Ephesians might be the next big thing. He doesn't pray that the next big thing might come Actually, Paul's prayer is in the way that the next big thing would be that they realize what they already have. That they realize what they already have in Christ. That's his prayer. And it just made me think, I wonder actually if the next big thing is often just because someone somewhere or some group of people somewhere have just caught a little bit more of a glimpse of what they already have. That's the next big thing. And Paul prays for them. May you know what you already have in Christ. That's his prayer. And then he prays these three slightly more specific things. Paul prays that they may know the hope to which they are called, verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. You know, God has called us to a wonderful, wonderful future hope. We as Christians, we have an amazing hope, the resurrection of the dead. We hope that we we have the faith that one day Christ will return. And when he returns, the Bible says that he will wipe every single tear from our eyes. In the book of Revelation, there's a, I, I don't know whether it's literal or it's a metaphor, I don't know, but there's a, a description of a river, and by the river are trees, and it says that the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations we live in such a broken world don't we where nations are in uproar where there's wars you just have to look at the news and look at what's happening in south sudan or in in congo or in syria or wherever you want to look there's there's so much unrest and violence and yet the christian hope is that there's this there's this thing coming it's the the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations that's the hope that we have that god will come and be with his people and wipe every tear from their eyes no more mourning or crying or suffering or pain that's the hope and paul prays may you know the hope to which you are called but you know also there's a future hope And I think Paul would want us to think about that and to reflect on that and to experience that in some way in the here and now. But there's also a hope for the here and now. There's also something that we're called to in this moment, tonight, tomorrow morning. There's a hope to which we are called. There's an amazing story in the Old Testament. You know, Israel had some some great kings and some awful kings. There was King David who probably was their, their greatest king and under David Israel prospered and, and in terms of you know, securing the borders and extending the borders, David was an amazing king. There was Solomon who had great wisdom and brought great wealth to the nation. But there was also a king called Josiah. And Josiah, when he became king, he was eight years old. And you can read about his story in... Um, Two Kings twenty two, Two Kings twenty three, and the Bible says that when he went, that Josiah was um, he was he was just a child, but he was someone who, you know, who walked in the ways of God. And when um, Josiah, I'm I'm sort of retelling the story, you can read it for yourself. But when Josiah was eighteen, they discovered the book of the law, and the book of the law was basically the the Pentateuch. It was the first five books of the Old Testament. It had gone missing. They're some of the toughest books, aren't they, of the Bible to really get into. But they discovered the book of the law. And they start to read it. And it's as if Josiah's whole kind of life just is changed by that experience. So he reads, this, he reads God's story. He reads the story of God interacting with, with ordinary people. Abraham, Noah, Moses, Joseph. Jacob it's different people he reads the law itself that God gave to Moses and Josiah then goes and he begins to remove all of the places of idolatry in the nation he just gets rid of them and under Josiah's leadership there is a revival in Israel There is a spiritual revival in Israel because Josiah did those things And it's as if Josiah somehow sees that his story is connected to the big story of what God is doing. Does that make sense? It's as if Josiah sees that that God is at work. And I can see that actually my little story, just an 18-year-old boy, actually somehow my story fits into this massive story of what God is already doing that I can be involved in playing my part in reviving the nation. And he goes about and he does these incredible things and, and there's a, this spiritual revival in, in the land. It's an amazing story. But I think that Josiah sees his story within God's bigger story. He sees the hope to which he's called in the here and the now. And I want to suggest to you that, that actually there's a hope to which you're called. is to see your little story in this big story of God bringing everything in all of creation under one head, which is Christ. And Josiah played his little part in that. And um, I was thinking about the worship team as they were leading, and I was thinking of Tom in marketing, I think, and... John with his music teaching and Nat, a student at Twyford and Mandy in a secondary school and I could go on and Just I don't know what all of you do really but I could go around the whole room and just this is what you do but, but actually that's your little part in God's big story there's a hope to which we're called it's a future hope but it's also a hope for tomorrow morning Paul prays, may you know, may you know in your mind, may you know in your heart, the hope to which you're called. Finally, not finally, two more. Got you going there, didn't I? (laughs) Paul prays that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This is a tricky one because... It's not immediately clear what it means. Does it mean that we may know the riches of God's inheritance, i.e. what God inherits? Does it mean that we may know what we inherit? The former is kind of a very, is more of an Old Testament kind of notion. The latter is more Pauline, more New Testament. So I'm gonna go with that, but both are amazing. You know, I'm a dad, I've got three children. Um, My hope is that if I die before the Lord returns, I hope to leave them something. That's just my hope as a dad. I really hope that. I hope that there's something to leave them, an inheritance. And you know, Jesus says that if you as, um, as imperfect people know how to give good gifts to your children well, how much more does your Father in heaven know how to give good gifts? So God wants to leave us an inheritance. Peter, in his um, first letter, said that this, uh, this inheritance is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. Now, I don't know if I can speak with, in great detail or with any great confidence as to exactly what that inheritance is going to be like. But I do know that in Romans chapter 8, it says that we are co-heirs with Christ. In other words, we get to inherit what Jesus inherits. Now, that blows my mind. I, I mean, where do you... What, where, What does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. Really, that's incredible that we get to inherit what Jesus gets to inherit. We're co-heirs with Christ. And the fact that it blows my mind is kind of the point of Paul's prayer. May you know, may you get to know better what it means to have this great, glorious inheritance with the saints isn't that amazing? If God could create all of this, all of it in all of its wonder, the, the world that we currently enjoy, the universe that we currently enjoy, imagine the inheritance that He has for His Son and for His adopted children. It's incredible. And so Paul prays. May you know intellectually, experientially, may you know. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Finally, Paul prays that we may know God's incomparably great power. And the knowledge of and that power is supremely demonstrated in the resurrection of Christ, where God displays his supreme authority over death and decay two forces that we as human beings have no power over whatsoever and yet God displays his power over those things by raising Jesus from the dead and that power is shown as Jesus ascends to the right hand of God and takes that position of complete authority of all principalities and powers all titles Everything. Jesus said to me in, in the end of Matthew's Gospel that uh, all authority has been given to me. And so that power is demonstrated in what God did by raising Jesus from the dead and by raising him to his right hand, that position of supreme authority. But then Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 3 to say this, that that same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us. That power is at work in our lives. And again, I, that when you really think about that, it's kind of, it's beyond me, really, to kind of completely get my head around that. But isn't that the essence of what Paul prayed? May you know him better. May you know God better. May you know what it means for that power to be at work in your life. And that was Paul's prayer for them. May you know God better. The hope to which you're called, the inheritance that you have, and the power that raised Christ from the dead, ascended him to the right hand of the Father, and is at work in your lives. Should we stand together? Maybe Mark would come and join me and we'll just um, take some time to pray.